Well, good morning. I am Pastor Allen. Uh, hopefully I greeted you when you came in. Some of you I might have missed. Uh, it's a little strange being gone last week, but I want to thank Pastor Clint, who actually is not here this week, uh, that uh, filling in for me. He did a great, I thought he did a great job. Um, I was able to watch the service actually yesterday. And so, <clears throat> thankful for him. We're in a series called Follow, and you have a hard copy today. You're going to have to follow that <laughs> instead of the screen like normal. And hopefully we can replace the ball this week and be back uh, the way we usually do things. So in this series, we're talking about, you start with a blank slate, what would this thing we call Christianity look like, or following Jesus look like? So no preconceived ideas, stuff you learned in church when you were a kid, whatever, just blank slate. And we said, to follow Jesus, you didn't really have, have any qualifications. You didn't have to believe anything. You didn't have to change anything. You just started following. <clears throat> uh, but then Pastor Clint kind of had the, tining, the turning point in this series last week because he said, eventually, in following, there's going to be something required of you. There's going to be something that's going to cost you. Uh, salvation's free, but following Jesus is going to be some kind of sacrifice you're going to have to make. So I'm thinking about um, my process, my pilgrimage, as most of you know, I was 13, 14, started going to church. It was all new to me. I never heard any of that stuff. And so people were explaining to me, you know, we're all sinners. We're separated from God. The wages of sin is death, meaning you're going to be separated from God from eternity. There's this place called hell. You're going to wind up in. It's really a nasty place. You're only going to go there. And there's this wonderful place called heaven. So if you just believe in this guy named Jesus that was resurrected 2,000 years ago, then your sins are forgiven, you have this relationship with God, and you get to go to heaven when you die. So as a teenager, that sounds like a good deal, right? Um, it was all about me. Well, I'm going to get my sins forgiven, I'm going to get to heaven when I die, and, and actually I'm going to be a better person here on earth. You know, I'll be able to have some better qualities, I'll be a better husband, better father, in that case, better teenager, keep me out of trouble, all those kind of things. So really... Becoming a Christian was about me. <laughs> um, I think Pastor Clint used this term last week, but I came across this term about 10 years ago, and it's this term, Jesus consumer. So, <clears throat> really, you approach this Jesus following or this Christianity thing as a consumer. Is it of good value to me? Is it a win for me? Uh, it's about me. Now, that sounds a little selfish or self-centered, and that's what it is. Uh, but I think we all start that way. Uh, we wouldn't get into this, any, any relationship or any organization or any uh, group to follow unless there was something in it for me. Otherwise, why would I do it? Well, it's, we're no different than anybody else in the whole, and the guys in the New Testament, even Jesus' disciples, the guys closest to him, they were in it for, for themselves also. So I want to use a verse from last week. Pastor Clint talked about, Jesus started talking about, you know, some bad things are going to happen, I'm going to die, and the disciples didn't want to hear that. They wanted to become a king. And so at one point in Mark chapter 8, verse 33, it's on your outline, uh, Jesus reprimands Peter for this. He says, get away from me, Satan. You are seeing things Merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So, okay, you're limited. You're only seeing things from your point of view. And for you, me dying is not a good thing. 
Um, me being a, coming a king is a good thing, and that can't both happen. So you're just, but God's got a, a bigger plan, a better plan, and you're just not seeing it. You're a consumer. It's about you. Then he goes on to tell the story about how difficult it is for rich people to get into heaven. Now, you're sitting there thinking, well, that's not about me. <laughs> but most of you heard me say this. Probably everybody in this room is in the top five, if not the top 2% of, of income earners in the world. So you're rich. You may not feel rich. You may not think you're rich, but you're rich. So that should make you uncomfortable if Jesus says it's hard for rich people to get into heaven. It made the disciples uncomfortable. And so uh, Peter says to him, and this is in Matthew 19, 27. I think that's on your outline. Uh, we've given up everything to follow you, which was, really wasn't true, but they had left their, their fishing business. Uh, what will we get? Okay, so we, we're, we gave up this. So we're expecting to get something over here, actually. We're expecting to get something more over here, right? Or we wouldn't leave this unless there was more over here. <clears throat> um, so, what am I going to give up to get something over here that, that is bigger or better? And there's all kinds of examples. Do I have to give up a relationship for some, some other relationship? Do I have to give up a job for some other job? Do I have to give up uh, living here to live someplace else? Uh, now, so I've got to think about dating. <laughs> this might seem like a strange illustration. But dating is really a, uh, we're our consumer. Here's my question for you. How many of you married the first person you ever dated? Anybody out there who had one in the first service? And one in the service. Okay, so you are excluded from this illustration. <laughs> so all the rest of us, if you're married, um, or even if you dated and didn't get married, we were checking somebody out. We were a consumer. We weren't in it for the other person. We wanted it. We are in it for us. And those of us who got married finally decided this was a win for us. This person made us better. We were happy with this person. We were fun with this person, whatever. The you know, first girl, I, serious girl I ever dated, she sad to say she broke my heart. She broke up with me. Hard to imagine, but she did. And uh, uh, so uh, she decided <laughs> that I wasn't worth giving up some other guy for. Eventually she married somebody else. <clears throat> so this is a natural process, right? We're going to make sure there's more in it for us than, than we sacrifice. And it's a process. It's a process in Christianity. So I think we all start off that way as consumers. But what we're really talking about is a relationship. When you get in a relationship like dating and then you move into marriage, after you've been married a long time like I have, you're willing to do anything for that other person. It's not about you. It's about that other person. You would sacrifice. You would die for that person. But you know, at the dating stage, there's nobody that I dated that I would die for. Just, just, just wasn't. My, the process, I wasn't that far along in the process, a relationship that wasn't that mature. So we're going to look at a guy that unfortunately, kind of a negative example of a guy who, actually one of the disciples, who um, was a Jesus follower and decided it wasn't worth it. Um, same as Judas. And uh, I've never met anybody named Judas. Anybody, anybody named Judas? Nobody will name their kids that. It's just because he's, you know, the person that betrayed Jesus. Now, the big question is, why in the world would he do this? He, he was one of the disciples. He saw all the things all the other disciples saw. 
Uh, it just seemed that all the disciples thought Jesus was going to become this king and throw out the Romans. And, and so that's understandable. But it wasn't happening. We're three plus years in. It wasn't happening. It didn't look like it was getting any closer to happening. Um, Jesus, in fact, befriended some of the Romans. He's not hating the Romans. Uh, he uh, uh, healed, you know, somebody for a Roman. He really is kind of ticking off the religious leaders. And if we're going to become the Messiah, the king of the earthly realm, but also in the spiritual realm, you've got to get along with the religious people, right? He didn't seem to be, you know, trying to get a, a, a big following. He had a following, but they were kind of coming and going. He wasn't raising a lot of money. Nowadays, you have to raise a lot of money. So, evidently, at this point for Judas, he was just bugged by maybe the slowness of Jesus in this process. And so the event we're going to look at and read uh, kind of was like the last straw, the straw that broke the camel's back for Judas, as we're going to see because of what he does afterwards. <clears throat> and there's a little Judas in us all. And again, it's okay to start that way, but, you know, we have our agendas. We want God to do certain things. We want God to make us happy, find that right person to marry, get a good job, keep us healthy. You know, we're a lot like, or at least somewhat like Judas. So we're going to read this story. It's in Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to read some of it, jump to John, and get some some background, and we're going to skip over some stuff and then finish up the story. <clears throat> so meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leper, leprosy. <clears throat> he probably wouldn't have been at his house if he still had leprosy because it was contagious and, and it was a, a bad thing. It's, maybe Jesus healed him because most people didn't get healed from leprosy. So that's where he is. While he was eating, now... Most of you probably know this. They didn't, you know that picture of the, of the Last Supper where they're all sitting in chairs? They didn't eat that way. <laughs> they ate down reclining, which is kind of weird because you have to prop yourself up with one arm. I wouldn't like that. I like to use both my hands when I'm eating. I don't know about you. Uh, it goes faster that way. But they didn't eat that way. They, so Jesus is reclining and eating. And a woman comes up with a beautiful alabaster jar, expensive perfume, and pours it over his head. Kind of weird, right? So he's sitting there, he's probably got long hair, and this perfume is just kind of like running down his, down his hair and maybe on his face, we don't know, dripping on his shoulders. All right, kind of a strange situation. Now the disciples saw this, and they didn't just think it was strange. The Bible says this way, uh, Matthew wrote it this way, the disciples were indignant. They were mad, they were upset when they saw this. They said, this is a waste. Now, <clears throat> Expensive, this was really expensive. It's believed this was a year's worth of wages. So I don't know what you make, but we'll just use a round figure, like $50,000 a year. All right? Some of you make more, some of you make less. This is worth $50,000. It was just like setting a match to it, <laughs> as far as they were concerned. So if I'm there, I'm probably thinking or feeling kind of like the disciples, too. And they go on to say, Matthew says, it could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. You know, we don't have to use it ourselves. We can use it on ministry. We can help so many other people. Now, we're going to skip the way John wrote it because we really don't, we just said the disciples, and that's a little confusing to us. So John fills us in because anytime, you know, somebody gets riled up, it's somebody that starts it, right? So who started this idea that this was a waste? Well, John tells us it was Judas. 
So Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, the perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold, any money given to the poor. So he started this, and then the other disciples evidently jumped in. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that, that's true. We could have done that. <clears throat> now, there's an interesting note here John includes. Not that he, meaning Judas, cared about the poor. He was actually a thief. And since he was charged of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. So he was the treasurer of the group. And I guess nobody was checking up on him, so whenever he wanted to pocket some of the money, he did. And so when you think about $50,000, that's even more I can pocket for myself. So he was a follower, but he was also using Jesus, even financially using Jesus, right, for his own ends. So let's get back to the story in the way Matthew is telling it. But Jesus was aware of this. Duh. <laughs> is there anything that's by Jesus? It's amazing. Why did he let him continue to be the treasurer when he knew he was stealing money? But anyway. Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? Now, you ever see somebody do something good for somebody else and criticize them? We've probably all done that. Why would they do that? Or why would they waste that? Or, and that's what, what's happening here. Other than the cost, this was a beautiful thing. This was a great honor to, 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 to sacrifice $50,000 uh, uh, for this person, in this case, Jesus. And then he says, you always had the poor with you, right? Always had poor, we still have poor. Maybe someday there won't be any poor people, but there's still poor people. But you not always have me. And that's true. Now, he's going to be crucified like the next day. Uh, but even if he lived to be 100, eventually he was going to die. He wasn't going to be around. You're not always going to have him. So I'm a person you have a relationship. There's a lot of other people out there. We need to help them, but there's always going to be poor people, and we can't help everybody. Now, he gives the reason why it was important that he was honored. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. And again, the disciples didn't want to hear all that stuff about death. But he'd been talking about it, and they were trying to ignore it. Um, so she is doing me a great honor. She's preparing my body for death. She really realizes who I am, even though most of you don't understand. And then he says this amazing thing. He says, I tell you the truth, whenever the good news is preached throughout the world, so when a preacher gets up and, and preaches, reads from the Bible, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. All right, now, so this is an unknown person, or could have been Mary, uh, Lazarus' sister, uh, but insignificant person, an insignificant part of the world, 2,000 years ago, and Jesus says, people are always going to remember this lady. Now, is that true? We are proof today, right? That we're talking about this lady doing this. What an amazing prophecy. And it, it, 2,000 years later, it's still coming true. So after this happened, Matthew's writing it this way. He says, then, then, after these events had happened, after three plus years of following Jesus and not really getting to that Messiah thing, that king thing, after this $50,000 was wasted. Then Judas, one of the disciples, went to the leading priest and asked them, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? He had enough. Okay? He said, I can get you Jesus. Now, was Jesus hard to find? 
No, just find the crowd. You, you, you would find Jesus. A few days earlier, he just had a huge crowd. He marched into Jerusalem. The problem is, you didn't want to arrest Jesus when the crowd's around, because that'd be unpopular. So Jesus is saying, I can get you Jesus when the crowd's not around. How much is it worth to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. Now, this was the price of a slave. If you were to buy a male slave in that culture, in that society, it would cost you 30 pieces of silver. For whatever reason, that's what they offered, and that's what he accepted. And so from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Now, this is kind of one of the most absurd things in Scripture. Okay, Judas, you think you can outsmart Jesus. Uh, the guy that calmed the storm, controls the weather, the guy that raised the dead, healed the sick, fed 5,000 people. Uh, you think you're intellectually superior to Jesus and you can betray him. Figure this out. He won't figure it out. But we're a little bit like Judas in that when we pray prayers, we want what we want rather than what God wants, right? Judas wanted Jesus to throw out the Romans, become king. And so we pray prayers often that, you know, God, I want, you know, I want good health, obviously. I want, you know, a good relationship, a good, you know, spouse. I want good kids. I want good job. You know, I want these things. And we're going to talk about that. That's, that's okay. But people talk about how could you worship a God that would let, you know, children get cancer or that's, Tsami, uh, however you say that word, just wiped out, uh, I think, a thousand kids in an orphanage. How could you worship a God? I don't. I don't worship a God that doesn't let bad things happen to good people. That's not in the Bible. That's, that, that God doesn't exist. <laughs> bad things do happen to good people. In fact, the worst thing happened to the best person, right? Jesus, best person, never lived. Bad thing happened. He got crucified. So we don't worship a God that doesn't let bad things happen to good people. That he doesn't exist. So Judas, unfortunately, is about to learn a really hard lesson. And I well, yes, put it on your outline is this. God's hand cannot be forced. You can't force it. And his will can't be stopped. Let me say that again. It's really important. God's hand can't be forced. You can't force God to do something he doesn't want to do. And you can't stop him from doing what he wants to do. So why? Why Judas? <laughs> Again, we're pretty hard on him, but his plan wasn't for Jesus to die. He just wanted him to speed things up, throw the Romans out, become king. So we're going to skip some verses, but in, this, in these verses we have what's called the uh, Last Supper. Uh, they're celebrating the Passover meal. Um, Jesus said he's going to, going to die. He also says, I'm, we're going to go over to the Garden of Gethsemane and pray, just the, the little group of us. And Judas, in the middle of this, he leaves. He says, ah, I know where Jesus is going to be. So he goes and tells them, and they go and arrest Jesus. So then, we'll pick it up in chapter 27. Early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. So then they've arrested him. The next step in their plan is to execute him. Now, the problem is, did the Jewish people, 
the power to kill people. No. They were occupied by the Romans. The Romans wouldn't let them kill people. Only the Romans got the privilege to kill people. So they had to make a plan. We don't have this power. We don't have this authority. How are we going to get rid of Jesus? So next verse says they bound him, led him away, took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Got to take him, get the Romans to execute him because we can't. They've got to pronounce him guilty of something worthy of death. So at this point, if you're Judas, you're realizing that my plan isn't working. It's out of control, and I can't control it. I can't fix it. I can't stop it. I didn't want Jesus to die. I just want him to become king. So the next verse says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to death, or to tend to die, he was filled with remorse. He was sorry. You ever been sorry for something you've done? Decision you've made? We all have, right? He was sorry. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. Now, it's kind of like, you ever buy something that says, sale final, no returns? We've all done that, right? This is kind of the deal here. He wants to take it back, and you do that wherever you bought that item. They say, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no returns. Sales are final. And that's what they said. To him. They returned the money. No, no, no. You, you did your part. You earned your money. <laughs> We're satisfied. And he goes on to say, I have sinned. He's talking to these, these guys. And he says, I have betrayed an innocent man. This guy doesn't deserve to die. I shouldn't have done this. That is their response. What do we care? <laughs> we don't care about that. You did, we paid you and you did what you, we wanted. We've got Jesus now. We're turning him over to the Romans and hopefully we're going to get him executed. He said, that's your problem. We've all been there, done that, right? Made a bad decision. Can't undo it. You can be forgiven for it. Can't undo it. Can't undo the consequences, can you? And then you have to deal with the consequences. Figure out how to fix it, how to make things right, how to make things better. Judas tried, couldn't do it. So he throws the silver coins down on the temple, to the temple, and went out and hanged himself. That seems a little weird to us, a little extreme to us, but in their culture, when you uh, are uh, embarrassed, extremely embarrassed or, or insulted, that's what you did. Now, the next part of the story is like the greatest hypocrisy that you can ever see. Uh, the leading priest picked up the coins. Now, they got the 30 coins, and they're thinking, okay, it wouldn't be right to put this back in the temple treasury because it's murder money. <laughs> it was money to use to murder something. That would be against the rules. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, I don't read that in the New Testament. There must be some rule they had uh, in the Old Testament. Excuse me. Uh, but these guys were experts in the Bible, the Old Testament. So they certainly would have known the Big Ten, right? Ten Commandments. And what is one of those Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not, what? Kill or murder. So they're not worried about one of the Big Ten, <laughs> but they're worried about some obscure law of their own where, well, this money is used for murder, so we can't put it over here. What are we going to do with it? 
And so they had a discussion. They came up with a plan. They finally decided to buy the potter's field. And they tell us what it is. It's made into a seminary for cemetery, not seminary, <laughs> for foreigners. All right. You know, if you lived there, your family had a burial plot, a burial tomb. But if you were traveling and you died there, there was nobody to bury you. So this was a dilemma they had. So they had this field. We bought this field. So if a foreigner or stranger dies, no place to bury him, we'll bury him in this field. So that was kind of a win-win. They used the money, but it wasn't uh, um, for something they shouldn't use it for. And so then the Bible says this really interesting thing. That is why the field is still called the field of blood. So the Bible's just not fairy tales. It's not just made-up stuff. This is real. We're hoping to go to the Holy Lands next year, and we hope they'll, they'll, they can point out this field of blood. This is the place where they bury the, the, the strangers. And of course, then Jesus was crucified. So here's, again, what we need to remember. God's hand can't be forced. And his will can't be stopped. And there's a little bit of this in all of us. We all have competing agendas. I want this, but God may want this. I shared a few weeks ago about when I was 17, I wanted to become an engineer, enrolled at University of Maryland Engineering, and then I figured out, God said, now I want you to do something else in your life. Uh, be a pastor. <clears throat> uh, competing agendas. And when those things happen, those of us who are Jesus followers, we say the Holy Spirit is speaking to us or convicting us. But even if you're not, we're glad that you're here, you have a conscience. And you know, there's, this thing is just not right. It's bothering you. If you're acting this way or doing this or not doing this. And the bottom line is this. It feels like a death. I died to the possibility of being an engineer. Got a couple engineers in our congregation. But I, to me, it it was a death. When that girl broke up with me, that was a death, even though she made the decision, right? Death of that relationship. But we don't need to worry about that because even though it may feel like a death, it will become a defining moment. It certainly was a defining moment in my career choice. Uh, breaking with that woman allowed me to eventually marry my wife. So it was a defining moment. So those just at those times, we're just struggling with, am I going to be a consumer or am I going to be a follower? Am I want what I want or what God wants? And it boils down to this. Jesus, I want you more than anything else I might want. Put it on your outline this way. God, I want what you want more than what I want. God, I want what you want or I want you more than what I want. Now, is there anything wrong with wants? No, wants are good. We all have wants. The Bible says God has the desires of our heart. Of course, you need to be a Jesus follower and have the Jesus desires of your heart. And he wants to give you that. <clears throat> and we've all seen people or know people that have made these, what we consider tremendous sacrifices to become a Jesus follower. And if you're like me, your thought is, I could have never done that. I couldn't have done that. that. That's the way I think. I couldn't have made that sacrifice. I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have given up that or whatever. And so we're kind of 
yeah, I want what you want, God. I just don't want it yet. It's interesting. I talk to believers that believe they're going to die and go to, uh, when they die, they're going to go to heaven. And, and we all agree, or I think we all agree. I'm in no hurry. Yeah, I, I want to get there someday, but I'm in no hurry. I want to see my kids grow up. I want my grandkids to grow up. Maybe my grand, great-grandkids. All right? Yeah, someday, but not yet. So I think for most of us, a more honest way to say this is this way. God, I want to want what you want more than what I want. I want to. I may not, but I want to want. So when we're tempted and we're at that crossroads, we're at that tension, when our consciousness is bothering us and the Holy Spirit's convicting us and we're trying to decide, I think it's it's an honest prayer. It would be an honest prayer for me. God, I want to want what you want more than I want. And the interesting thing is, you think God would honor that prayer? I think he would. And he would help us. Now, the fascinating thing about the story is this. Could could Jesus have stopped Judas from his plan? What do you think? (laughs) Of course he could. He could have zapped him dead right there on the spot. He He could have spoiled his old plan, right? He could have not shown up in the Garden of Gethsemane and tricked him. But the other thing is, did Judas's plan stop Jesus? Nope. Died on the cross, crucified, three days later, raised from the dead. So, I, I don't know if scare is too strong a word, but it ought to scare us a little bit. Because God's not going to stop you from doing stupid stuff. Because we've all done it, right? God's not going to stop you. And you're going to have to suffer for the consequences. And we've all done that too. Now the good news is, the plus side is, it's not going to stop God or Jesus from doing what he wants to do. If Judas was here today, he might say something like this to us. Blessed is the one who chooses to do the will of God rather than attempting to oppose his own will onto God. When you get to that fork in the road, the blessing is doing the will of God rather than trying to oppose our own will. So God's hand can't be forced. You can't get God to go faster than he wants to go. You can't get God to go slower than he wants to go. You can't get God to uh, find you a spouse sooner than he wants to. I think I've told you this story. Uh, My sister May is a year younger than me. She got married, I think, when she was 20. Uh, my brother's a year younger than me. He got married when I was 20. So I'm at this point, I'm 22, I guess, right? Uh, no prospects. I got married when I was 25. Okay? So I, I, I couldn't rush it. I think, well, I'm the oldest. I should have got married first, right? Uh, you, you can't rush those kind of things. You can't force God, and you can't stop God. Let me ask you a simple question. Is that a good thing? Nod your heads. <laughs> That's a good thing, because God's all loving, all kind, all powerful, all knowing, all wise. He's going to do his best, and nobody can stop him. We say it this way, God's God, and I'm not. So when God says no to you, often no is no right now, but when God says no to you, what is he really saying? He says, no, I've got something better, I've got something bigger, it's just something later. So, to make this simple, he just says, 
Just follow. It's okay to have your plans, have your wants. What's most important is that I want, God, what you want. I want you more than what I want. So that's my challenge for this week. If you can't pray that prayer, pray that prayer. God, I want to want what you want more than I want. And we'll see how your life goes, how your week goes. So let's pray and we'll have a final song. Let's go. Father God, thank you so much. Unfortunately, things didn't turn out so well for Judas. But big lesson for us here is you're God and we're not. We can't force your hand. We can't stop your will. We do have free will. We can make dumb decisions. We can follow our agendas instead of yours. And uh, for none of us here at least, not with the final outcome that Judas had. But we had to deal, we've all had to deal with unpleasant consequences. And God, I want to pray for anybody, first and foremost, that's not a, not a Jesus follower, that they would begin that process. And then they get to the place where they'd step across that line. Say, yes, Jesus, I want what you want more than what I want. You have my life. It's yours. God, for most of us, we're somewhere along that pilgrimage of being a Jesus follower. We thank you for the progress we've made in the process. And we pray for continual uh, growth, uh, continual maturity, that we truly be able to pray that prayer. I want what you want, God, more than what I want. I want you, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice a gift of salvation. In your name we pray. Amen.